Hi, I'm Lena Carlson, and welcome back to EU Ipsos CEO Playbook. I'm here with Oliver Ast. Hi, Lena. In episode number seven, we're going to be diving into internal communications, which is a topic that's important for everyone in a company right up to the CEO. As always, feel free to head to our website, eupsocommunications.com, or follow us on social media at eupsocoms, or DM Oliver if you have something you want to say to us. Right, let's get into it. Today we're talking about internal communications. Right, a uh, very topical issue, of course, because it's gaining in importance and at the same time it's changing rapidly. And I think it's super interesting because in the previous episodes we've touched upon a lot of external communications such as public speaking, but I think it's really important as a CEO or an executive or a founder to really master internal communications as well. Yeah, very much so. So it's, of course it's a lot about how leaders communicate with the teams, with the staff in an organizations because they tend to take the decisions and have most information. But it's not just that. It's also how everyone communicates within the organization with each other regardless of level or degree of information they may have. And that's really part of company culture, a very important part of the company culture. And I think internal communication more than anything is very subject to change depending on you know the structure the hierarchy the amount of people the amount of teams different offices uh, yeah. different locations so I think it really is a really crucial element of communication to master totally and obviously the workplace is changing we all know that and that requires a different way to communicate with each other clearly we're moving away from hierarchies to what we like to call dynamic networks but it's not just that it's also the very fundamental truth that and i'm convinced this is true employee engagement leads to higher profitability so it just makes very good business sense to invest in this area and take this very seriously i completely agree you mentioned dynamic networks for people who don't quite understand the terminology there what exactly is that and how is it different to a hierarchy? Yeah, I mean, in the traditional uh, company setup, you know, there's management and then there are workers and, you know, imagine a factory and uh, the communication is very much top down. So management tells the workers what to do and how to do it and when to do it. It's all very regulated. Now, in the information age, in the knowledge economy, that doesn't work, of course. It's all about the free flow of information and good ideas and executing them very quickly. And for that, hierarchies are not really suitable. Now, to some degree, you need hierarchies, but it's much more about dynamic networks and how everyone in the organization uh, works together and forming sort of dream teams for every project. And that's what's behind this term. It's interesting because I remember when we spoke to Rafaela Ryan about hierarchies and flat hierarchies, she said they almost killed her business. And what she's saying is we don't need a traditional hierarchy, which is this very top-down approach. But what we also need is some kind of structure that is not that everyone is equal and everyone needs to be equally invested And because the reality of business is that some people will be more invested. And so I think that's where these dynamic networks come in because they give people a sense of ownership and a sense of responsibility at the correct level. Indeed, yeah. And the fact that CEOs are really thinking about internal communications really symbolizes a change in the times, don't you think? Totally. Radical open door or not having a door at all. You know, just a few years ago, usually a CEO would sit behind, uh, you know, sit in his, his own office uh, and he just couldn't walk in. There would be a gatekeeper, usually another room we would have to pass through with executive assistants and, you know, what have you. Uh, so it was really hard to actually see or talk to the CEO. And naturally, they didn't know what was going on in the company. So this is getting much, much better now. I think in 2019, it's absolutely essential for CEOs to step up to the mic. Leanne told us this a couple of months ago on the Speak Like a CEO podcast, and she's absolutely right. CEOs today have to be out there, you know, selling their message and really believing in it. 
Yeah, for sure. So, uh, and before we talk about the how, how you go about it, maybe let's let's think, take a step back and think about what the purpose is of internal communications. And first and foremost, it's about focus and motivation. Focus means to ensure that everyone's actions in an organization are aligned with the company's strategic goals. If you're not clear what the company's objectives are, how do you know what to do day in, day out, let alone year in, year out? And secondly, keep everyone motivated. I don't think, you know, my personal view is you can't motivate people. If you have to motivate people, you hire the wrong people. They should be motivated um, and believe in the mission and have passion for it. Um, having said that, there are a lot of things you could do to actually decrease people's motivation. So you need to be very mindful of that. And there's another aspect here, which is talked about much more and I think deserves much more attention, which is mental health in the workplace. Better communication leads to better mental health in the workplace and it comes down to culture and the way we interact and it should always be with respect. I completely agree. I think the impact that internal communications can have on your employees is so important. So now that we know why we need internal communications, let's talk about how we can develop that strategy. In part two. So when it comes to internal communications, how do you decide what the right strategy is? There are a few parameters I think you have to keep in mind. How type of company are you? Are you running factories? Are, are you an internet business? Then what are the expectations of your employees? So someone who is a delivery driver has different expectations from someone who is in management, for instance. So another factor is size. It's one thing to be in the same room, speak the same language, and maybe be a dozen people. It's quite another thing if you have 300,000 employees in 150 countries. So all of these things play a role in the development of a strategy, of course. I definitely agree with that. And I've worked for companies that have had, you know, five employees total, a very small startup, and then 300,000 employees globally. And the way that internal communications works is very different there. Absolutely true. And what they all have in common, though, is culture is really important, don't, don't you think? I think to have successful communications internally, culture has to be top of the list. Yeah, and you, you can use communications to establish a strong, positive culture marked by trust. So people not only get on and tolerate each other, but actually want to work together, come to work with a smile on their face and trust each other. And there's that famous quote from Peter Drucker from the Effective Executive book, which, which you know, some people like um, Patrick mentioned on the podcast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think this is, this is very true and really makes a point succinctly. I think it's kind of one of these things as the CEO is what do you want people to think about you? What do they think you stand for and ultimately the company stands for and how do they, I guess, um, embody that in the work that they do? Yeah. And how do they feel when they come to work and are at work? So do they feel that their work is valued, that they were valued as people, that their contribution is seen and that they are heard? So listening is extremely important. Uh, but then obviously also giving feedback and giving, giving honest feedback. Um, I'm not afraid of radical candor, I think that goes too far and is, in my view, counterproductive. Uh, but of course, there needs to be honest feedback and uh, there, needs, there need to be mechanisms to deliver that feedback. Um, you say you're not a fan of radical candor. Can you delve into that a little bit more? I think it's too brutal and I think it, it takes people's self-esteem and self-worth away. 
And when you actually, you know, listen to it and, and read it, um, you can't escape the impression that someone, a manager didn't do his or her job and then try to catch up by being radically open and, you know, sort of making up for the missed opportunities of giving constructive feedback before. Now, I think that's the missed conclusion. You go from one wrong, not giving feedback at all, to the, another wrong, uh, being radical in your feedback. I just don't believe in that. I think you need a healthy balance of providing constructive feedback on an ongoing basis, ideally weekly and, and often, you know, daily interactions if, if you can with your direct reports. But being radical one way or another, I don't think that's the right way of dealing with people and working with people. That's like a definitely an interesting take. And I think um, that's where it comes down to the company and its values, because obviously it's going to be different for all kinds of companies. Yeah. Once you have to be radical, you clearly missed opportunities before as a manager, as a leader to give feedback. That, that's my take on it. And perhaps instead, maybe you need to take a step back as an organization or a CEO and say, okay, what do I really stand for? Is it Do I just want some kind of simple message? And for example, you know, we've got the FedEx Purple Promise. Um, maybe that doesn't mean much to people outside of the organization, but people internally know exactly what that stands for. Culture is very important and culture is derived from values. So values are often the starting point in organizations. It should be. And again, it's, it's about keeping it simple so that people out in the field often who don't have a lot of interaction with management and the company culture, you know, back at the HQ, they still understand the culture. And for that, it's really important to keep it simple. And I think when it comes to internal communications, um, obviously culture is a really important part of that. And that value extends to your customers. Yeah, very much so. So it's not just about the organization or internally. Andy Harrison, who was on our podcast, former CEO of EasyJet, many other companies said, and, and he said this many times when I worked with him, if you look after your people, they will look after your customers and the business looks after itself. And I think there's a lot of business wisdom in this one sentence. Yeah. And I think that actually reminds me of um, what Richard Branson says a lot is that the most important person is your employees. Um, because they will take care of the customers and then yes. ultimately the business. So it's really the same idea is that if you can give them all the input that they need to succeed, um, then ultimately your customers are happy and you're happy as well. Yeah, totally. So obviously internal communications, easier said than done. What are some of the pitfalls that people fall into? I think still one pitfall is one-way communication that, you know, memos are sent out, emails are sent out, but uh, there's no interaction, there's no feedback mechanism, and people don't dare to speak up. So there's no way for the leadership team to know what's actually going on or it's all filtered. So one-way communication should go out of the window and it should be very two-way dialogue based these days. What are some of the ways that you can promote that two-way dialogue? There's a format called Ask Me Anything, AMA, that's quite popular with tech companies, for instance. Um, you, you know, you can do that in person, town hall meetings, that sort of thing, which can be webcast if you have a global organization, for instance. Um, or you can have formats where through some sort of app or social media, you can submit questions from anywhere. So the question doesn't have to come from the person in the room. That's great, but could also come from, you know, your outlet in Australia, say. Yeah, I think that's great. And I know Ask Me Anything's work really well on Slack with tech companies and a company I previously worked with did this a lot. They also had this lunch bot, right? Mm -hmm. So basically like a little chat bot that sets you up with someone for lunch. And That's you cool. could be anyone in the organization, you know, you could just be like a junior tech developer or whatever, who's been set up to have lunch with the CTO or the CEO. Like this is really like crazy different ways technology yeah. can put people together. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And promote that, I guess more of a 
casual vibe or something like that. Yeah, I think once you reach a certain size, these things are, are really, really helpful. Um, another way would be video. And that's another pitfall, I think. Video, easy to produce, but hard to get right. So you can easily establish an Ask the CEO format on video and maybe ask the CEO some questions on video and then disseminate that in the organization. That often doesn't leave, look good unless it's done professionally. So again, I think you often need some help to get it right. And uh, it needs preparation, it needs the CEO to buy in and practice. So it's hard to pull off and audio is often easier to do. I think it's one of those things, again, where you need to not have any corporate fluff. It needs to be authentic, honest and really real. Yeah, um, very much so. To be human and to make an impact. Um, so what about transparency? Because I know the bigger an organization gets, the more sensitive information becomes. And obviously not everyone can know everything. But how much information should you disseminate? I think as much as possible, you need to show that you trust people. But I think also everyone understands their limits to that because it's not good for the business and therefore for everyone in the business if certain things are revealed, trade secrets, um, deals that may happen, customers you go after, etc. And as Gerd Richter, the CEO and founder of Civi, who was um, on the podcast, pointed out, um, being transparent doesn't mean revealing company secrets. You can be transparent, but there are certain boundaries which we just need to respect. I totally agree. And I think that's um, an interesting question then, your internal and your external messaging. Should they be the same or should they be completely different or somewhere in the middle? Yeah, it's an interesting one because often you get the immediate response, oh, they should be the same, right? Um, but if you think about it, if you're out in the trenches and you're a practitioner in this field, you quickly realize that just not doesn't work. Because I'll give you an example. So let's say a company needs to take a tough decision, whatever that may be, maybe, you know, reduce headcount. Um, for the stock market, if that's a listed company, that often is good news, which leads to a higher share price. So you, you, you tell that story to your investors in a certain way. You tell the same story, but you have to tell it in a very different way to your employees, for instance, and also to the media, because the media will slaughter you if you go to them with the same story angle as you did with your investors, which is exactly why normally companies don't talk to investors and the media at the same time. These are clearly separated. And you have to be extremely sensitive and careful when you tell your teams about such a decision and you have to explain it and do your utmost to keep people on board and motivated going forward. And we've talked about this previously on the playbook about messaging and being aware of your different audiences and stakeholders. And I think this just goes back to the, the very core. You need to tell the message that is appropriate for every certain audience that you're talking to. And whilst the information may be the same, the way you frame that may be completely different. Exactly. It's diff same story, very different framing. So that's some really good practical tips in terms of how to create that strategy for internal communications. Now let's talk about some tools that you can actually use to implement this. So what are some of the tools that you can use to really implement your internal communication strategy? So the biggest tool you have is probably the office. I mean, quite literally. And people don't necessarily think of it as a tool, but um, I think do think today with the new workplace, a brave new work, people do think a little bit more about it. Two extremes are everyone sits in their own office or cubicle, all terrible. Um, or the other extreme is everyone sits open plan. And I've experienced both in my you know, two in-house corporate jobs at GM, General Motors. I had my own office and everyone had their own office in the office. And at EasyJet, uh, it was literally hundreds of people in a big hangar, open plan. The CEO literally meters away from me and could talk to everyone, walk, walk up to everyone. 
uh, and everyone could walk up to me and talk to me. So that was great to some extent in terms of fostering flow of information communications, but it also leads to a lot of distraction, especially if you, like us, you know, talk to, say, a journalist or another important stakeholder on the phone and around you is just a lot of noise. So it's hard to concentrate. So there is a trade-off between concentration and deep work on the one hand and communication flow of information on the other. And I think it's also with open plan offices, you need to be aware of what information is sensitive. So for example, if you have your HR sitting out in the middle of the open, then this is really not super professional. Yeah. Um, I think kind of a nice compromise is co-working spaces, for example. And we talked to Dan Zakai from Mindspace about this is that it kind of gives you some flexibility in terms of how does your workspace look? It could be open plan. It could be sitting in the kitchen or at a lounge or going back to your private office or taking a meeting room. And I think having that flexibility is super important for communicating with your team. Yeah, and, and like four or five people in a room, I think is a good middle way, and which is exactly what Mindspace does. And the walls are made of glass, not of uh, you know concrete or, or whatever. So they're transparent. We can see each other, even for those of our colleagues who are not in the same room. Uh, they see us. And it's a good middle way, I think, of, of having communication, but not being too distracted. Lots of companies do remote working now, but obviously personal interaction is super valuable still. Why do you think this is? Um, a couple of ways to do that. So meetings is one thing and internal communication starts with one and one interactions and there should be mechanisms to do that and there should be company culture that fosters communication. So it should be too quiet in the office. That, that's my belief and that's something you, you like to say as well. Um, secondly, town halls, um, where you actually go out and meet people, especially if you have, you know, teams uh, spread out over different geographies, and you can combine them with technical tools, i.e. webcasts, so you can do town hall in one place, um, but include people in another if you can't be, in, you know, uh, at that place in that, uh, you know, for, for some time. There's also the more, maybe more recent development where executives use, say, WhatsApp to leave voice messages to large numbers of senior employees or employees in an organization. And the new Daimler CEO, Ola Kalenios, who resumed office a few months ago, he did this apparently, it was reported at least, that he left uh, WhatsApp messages with a lot of uh, his team members. I think this one is super crazy. I've never heard anything like it. And I'm not sure if I would like it or not if it happened in our company, but it's certainly curious and exciting to see CEOs trying different methods of communication. Yeah, I think interesting experiment. And, and you're right. I mean, we don't know how people react to that, but they're surely going to talk about it. And if he wants to send a signal, which probably behind this, that I'm transparent, I'm open, my door's always open. Tell me if you have a good idea, if you think something's going wrong, then that's a, a good development, I think. But you have to follow through. It can't be a one-off on the day of the appointment. You know, in worst case scenario, you go back to written communication. So back to emails, yeah. if it doesn't work or... I mean, almost every company now has a blog. You can have a CEO blog, for example. Yeah, and I think with written communication, I, I wouldn't put anything sensitive or, or interesting or strategic out on email. I think emails are okay if you wanted to sort of quick information, something you want to get out quickly that's not too important, too strategic. Email's fine. CEO blogs, newsletters, magazines, the written word. It really depends how well it's done. If test is really do people read it, and with the CEO blog, if you put it on the website, you can easily see if people read it or not. But it needs to be genuine. It needs to come from him or her. It can't just be fluff and a sort of recycled piece on, you know, something that happened somewhere rather than the central questions the organization faces. And I think a 
of course, it always depends on the size and the geographical location of the company because an intranet can be super useful when people are on different time zones, but all still need to access the same information. But an intranet in a company, you know, less than 10 people all sitting in the same office really makes no sense and is just a waste of time. It is, and they seem to be going out of fashion pretty rapidly because they're just more modern and more intuitive tools of communication. So you can have an app, for instance. For that, you don't even need people to sit in an office. So if you have a lot of people who are operational out in the field, for instance, deliveries, sales, airports, that sort of environment, it does make sense for people to be able to access company information on their smartphones during lunch hour, during their breaks. So that's, to me, much more relevant than an intranet. And as soon as people have to log in or something like that, you you lose them. For sure. And again, it depends on what kind of company, you know, if you have sensitive data that can't be shared. I mean, some people can't access their work emails outside of their work computer. Obviously, different, different industries, you're very free to do that. And it's actively encouraged. I think tools like Slack are really useful as well, um, or Telegram, even because they kind of provide like a private messaging space and that's still professional, obviously very secure and instant, which I think is also quite important the way work goes today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these tools are really to search for better version of email, really. And they have uh, come a long way in that respect. But obviously, the more people use it, the more it will become like email. So I think it's one to watch and see how useful that will be in the future. What I do love is that although we're getting quite technologically advanced, <laughs> when it comes to video calls with mm-hmm. clients or with other teams, I think people always still have some kind of technical or audio Mm. issue. It's like, you know, you spend half the meeting being like, can you hear me? Are we all still on the call? (laughs) Who's next? Who wants to say something? Um, And obviously this is going to get better with time. But for the moment, I think that's why it's still sometimes important to have these face-to-face or contact points. Yeah, totally. And I think another good tool is our podcasts. Uh, We talked about video and if done well, fantastic. If not, rather not. Podcasts are easy and cheaper to produce for sure um, and they can serve the purpose again you, you can listen to it on your way to work or during your lunch hour you're not disturbing anyone just using your headphones and uh, they can be quite intimate and can be a way to get to know the leadership team or the um, you're just different parts of the organization just different people who fill different roles in an organization it can be from the shop floor up so it doesn't matter so podcasts for internal communication i think will be just growing over time as the whole feed of podcasts in general. Yes. And we've missed one obvious tool, which is social media, which I think um, we've spoken a lot about already on this playbook. Mm -hmm. But for CEOs, in terms of internal communications, this can be a really powerful tool to connect with your employees via Instagram stories or, you know, even very simple LinkedIn posts or tweets can have a real impact on what your entire company thinks about you yeah i mean people like corinna uh, sophie rafaela they all spoke about how they use social media and how it's also uh, perceived and seen by people who work for them which is which is great because they travel a lot um, obviously as ceos and therefore it's important that their teams feel in touch feel informed they know what the mission is why the boss is out out not in the office uh, and i think it helps to foster a sense of togetherness we all in this together So there's definitely no shortage of tools to be used for internal communications. I think it's really up to the CEO to evaluate what works best for their uh, company and for them based on, you know, the size, uh, the industry, the geographic location, and, you know, obviously the capacity. And I think what's very important is to not use all the tools, but use a small amount and use them well. 
use them well and be an attention innovator. So I think it's right in this field as in other fields of communications, try things out, see if they work, see if people use them and like them, and don't be afraid to drop things that are no longer working, no longer worth the investment like an intranet, say. So that would be my advice. And then listen to the people, uh, see if you know they should use they should like some of the channels you're putting out. Not every channel is for everyone. Um, so that's why people have different channels. But as you said, there should be few of them and they should be done really well. 100%. And I think getting that feedback is so crucial. Well, it's been a super interesting conversation about internal communications and lots to think about. What's your, I guess, biggest advice for people who are looking at how to implement a successful internal communication strategy? I would say good communications leads to good to great company culture, which leads to happier workforce, uh, a great company to work for, and a business that will be ultimately be successful. So it should be in the center of the thinking of every CEO. I think that's really good. Cool. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Sure. And next we'll be talking about campaigning on the CEO playbook, which is a topic that I think uh, we're both really excited to talk about. We, we just hosted an event on this recently. No campaign, no gain. Exactly. So we have a lot of material, a lot of insights and wonderful guests to draw on and uh, should be a good one. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can head to our website, eupsocommunications.com or follow us on Instagram or Twitter at eupsocoms. Oliver's also online at oliveroust underscore. See you next time. See you.